This morning's reading is from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 40, and can be found on page 1028 in the Pew Bibles. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee and to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of the Lord. I was interested when the rota for preaching and the uh, orders of service came round to those of us who were on the preaching team to note that... Uh, while I was given a, a Bible reading for today, which is the one that uh, Mary just read for us. Thank you very much, Mary. Um, there was no title given to the sermon, uh, which is a little unusual. Quite often we're given titles. Uh, so I've decided to create one of my own, and uh, it'll come up on the screen, and it's growing old gracefully. Growing old gracefully. We're going to meet two ordinary, remarkable people as we go through the sermon. That's the who. Uh, but before we get to the who, we're going to think about the when and the where and the why of this morning's reading. And before we do that, let's pray. Father, on this last day of the year, help us to love you, God, and love our neighbors with all our hearts, minds, souls, and strength 
as we look forward to the days and the years ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If things were organized properly according to the calendar, uh, today was, um, should be February the 4th. Why should today be February the 4th? Because Jesus was born on December the 25th, as you know. According to our current calendar, there is no particularly good reason why the church celebrates on December the 25th. We don't actually know the date on which Jesus was born. But Jesus was born on December the 25th in Bethlehem. And Mary and Joseph, being law-abiding people, uh, wanted to keep the law of Moses. And so, according to Leviticus uh, chapter 12, the beginning of Leviticus chapter 12, on the eighth day, that's the 2nd of January according to our calendar, on the eighth day, they would have had Jesus named and ouch, circumcised. That was what happened on the eighth day according to the law of Moses. They, of course, would have given him the name Jesus or probably Yeshua, as we know, because that was the name that was revealed to them, both to Mary and to Joseph, by the angel uh, when his birth was announced. Uh, but now we are 40 days on from the birth, another 33 days on from the naming and circumcision, because Mary and Joseph have to go to the temple in Jerusalem. That's not far. Bethlehem is about five miles away from Jerusalem, a mere 90 minutes walk or so. They go to the temple in Jerusalem for two things, for the consecration of Jesus and for the purification of Mary. According to Exodus chapter 13, the firstborn son to a woman was to be consecrated to the Lord. This has an echo back to the time when uh, they were coming out of Egypt and the firstborn of the Egyptians were killed at that time, but the firstborn of the Israelites were saved by the blood on the doorposts and the angel passing over. And God said, the firstborn belonged to me. And so the child would be taken to the temple, would be presented to a priest. The priest would take the child from the parents in his arms, symbolically accepting the child on God's behalf. And he would then be prayed over and blessed by the priests. And then he gets redeemed. He gets bought back by the parents apparently for five silver coins. That's the consecration of a firstborn boy to God and would have happened to Jesus. But something else also happens on this day and that is the completion of the purification of Mary which involved two sacrifices. You see, it was deemed that a woman when she gave birth was ceremonially unclean for a number of days and to complete the process of her uh, purification, she would have brought to the temple a lamb as a burnt offering, symbolizing their complete commitment, their total commitment to God, her total commitment to God, and a pigeon or a dove 
as a sin offering which would be confessed over and she does that because sin, as we all know, has consequences. Sin has consequences and must be paid for. Of course, if you were listening to the reading, you realize that Mary did not bring a lamb and a dove. She brought two pigeons because the Bible in Leviticus says if the people are poor, they can bring two pigeons or two doves instead of a lamb and a pigeon. So we know that Mary and Joseph at least consider themselves to be poor. So this is the ceremony that brings Mary and Joseph to the temple on this day, 40 days after the birth. And here they meet two people. You've already heard their names, Simeon and Anna. We don't have anything recorded of specifically what Anna said. We have no quote from Anna, but we have what Simeon said on that occasion. And notice if you've got your Bible open still, verse 29, Simeon's first words are not directed to Mary and Joseph. Simeon's first words are directed to God. He gives praise to God. He says, Sovereign Lord, you have promised and you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. Simeon praises God. He acknowledges God's promise. He says, as you have promised, because somewhere along the line, probably not that day or even that week, maybe years previously, God had promised him through the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen God's salvation, God's saviour. He says, as you have promised, I have seen your salvation. And notice that it's a salvation for all nations, for the whole world, as well as for Israel. And then Simeon goes on to describe something about this child, what he is going to be and what he is going to do. He describes Jesus as what I'm calling a touchstone, a standard or criteria by which things will be judged or recognized. He, Jesus, will divide, we are told. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many. Some will fall as a result of meeting Jesus. Some will rise as a result of meeting Jesus because he is a sign. He is the one through whom thoughts of our hearts are assessed and compared. Who, who do we think, who do we believe Jesus is? It's a good question because according to this and according to the Bible elsewhere, we will be judged by our attitude to Jesus. So, here we are in the temple, 40 days on from the birth, for the consecration of Jesus, for the purification of Mary, obedient to the law, God is praised, Jesus is acknowledged, that's the when and the where and the why. But who are these two people? 
Who are these two people? Perhaps we don't often like to think about growing old until some of us at least find ourselves old. What do we think about growing old? Most of us, I expect, if we're asked, would say, well, we'd like a long life. We want to fill our life with time and doing things and whatever. And yet some of us perhaps think about growing old and we dread it. Or some of us look forward to it. Hey, it's going to be the time when I can stop work and I can travel and I can do my hobbies and I can have fun. Some of us, on the other hand, may feel that as we get old that the best is behind us, that we're no longer quite as capable as we were. Do we try to ignore getting old? Or are we planning for it? Is it perhaps a little bit like a pension? Some of us may not have pensions yet, but a pension is one of those things that you start planning for and saving for and preparing for long before you need it. It's no good planning a pension the week you retire. So what do we learn from Simeon and Anna? You can follow it in your Bible if you have a mind to or look it up again later. But these two between them are righteous, devout, servant-hearted, spirit-filled, praising and trusting God, prophetic, worshipping, prayerful, thankful, evangelistic, and, oh yes, old. Let's consider a few of these for a few moments. Simeon, verse 25, is described as righteous. The quality of being morally right and justifiable. And we might say that being righteous is particularly a characteristic that Simeon and us, maybe others, have towards people. We are righteous when we do what is right, when we say what is right, when we think what is right, when we have moral standards that we live by and put into practice in the way in which we relate to other people. But verse 25 also says that Simeon is devout. Devout. The dictionary described it as having or showing deep feeling or commitment, especially in questions of faith. Being devout, we might describe as being rightly related, rightly committed towards God. So here is a man who is righteous in his actions towards people and devout in his attitude and his relationship with God. We're told in the following verse, 26, 27, that he's spirit-filled. You'll have realized that it's not yet Pentecost. Pentecost won't happen for another 33, 34 years because Jesus has only just been born. And yet God is at work by his spirit in people even in these days. We had just last Sunday, I think it was, the story of John the Baptist who we were told would be filled with the spirit from birth. God is at work by his spirit and he's at work in this man and I'll suggest in a moment in this woman. Believing, 
what God has said and putting his faith and trust in it. Not only that, but Simeon describes himself as being servant-hearted. He knew his place in relation to God. He said, now Lord, let your servant, that's me, Simeon, let your servant depart in peace. He has his known place in his relation to God. He trusts God, he's filled with the Spirit, and he has the attitude of a servant. Doubtless for Anna, we could say much the same thing. Doubtless, righteous, devout, spirit-filled. Why? Because in verse 37, we're told that Anna is a worshiper. She never leaves the temple, the place of worship. We had some discussion with friends last night who came around for supper that how that would work out. Does she actually live in the temple all the time? Well, we can think about that. But she's there. She's a worshiper. Verse 37 also tells us that she's prayerful. Consistently, day and night, she keeps her prayers going towards God. Verse 38 says that she's thankful. She gave thanks for this child. Giving thanks to God. And that she's evangelistic. She went and spoke about this child, Jesus, to all who were looking for the redemption of Israel. In these two people's lives, God is central. What, what will we be? What will you be when we are old? Grumpy old men? Mm, sometimes. Nagging bitter old women? Maybe. Sometimes. In 1 Samuel 16, Samuel is looking for a king. And when he looks at the people who are presented to him as potential kings, God says to him, people judge by outward appearances. Do we? People judge by outward appearances. The wrinkles, the stick, the stoop, the failing memory. But God looks at the heart. God looks at our hearts. Do we look just at the outward appearance? Or do we see and meet? Do we become people who are righteous, devout, spirit-filled, servant-hearted, praising, trusting, worshipping, prayerful, thankful, evangelistic, as well as old? I suggest that if we want these qualities as we age, we need to start developing them before we get there, before we get stuck in our ways. Let's plan good ways to get stuck in. A spiritual pension, if you like. Start saving it, start adding to it long before, well, no, we need it all the time, but long before we need it when we're old. For many of us, especially this Sunday morning's preacher, this will always be a work in progress. But are we working? And is the progress? How about making New Year's resolutions? We haven't got much 
2023 left. Perhaps you're planning a few New Year's resolutions. You're just going to exercise more. We're going to eat less. Um, why does my mind suddenly switch to the bowl of chocolates that I know is in the kitchen? Anyway, um, exercise more, eat less. Maybe we're going to move home or start a hobby or travel more. We have plans for the year ahead. Why not resolve to begin working on or preferably to keep working on some of the characteristics we see in Simeon and Anna? What advice would we give about how to do that? Well, I picked up my phone earlier this week and I sent text messages to some of my friends who are, let's say, of a similar age to myself. And I asked them, what advice would you give your younger self that would have helped you to become a more godly person now that you are of a senior age, shall we say? Here's a few of their answers. Intentionally seek just a few close friends who share and support your Christian lifestyle. Intentionally seek a few close friends who share and support your Christian lifestyle. Surround yourself with people who think and want to follow Jesus the same way that you do. To me, that sounds like a small group, by the way. Join a small group who will meet on a regular basis and support you, and you can be a support to them. Number two. Persevere with ordinary daily disciplines like prayer, Bible study, communal worship, serving others in some way. It's the regular disciplines of walking with Jesus that encourage us to keep going. We, Ronnie and I sat over our breakfast table this morning and did our daily Bible reading together and our notes made an interesting sentence that I said to Ronnie would probably appear in the sermon and here it comes. Doing what God says is not a one-off decision but a series of daily choices. And a lot of that comes down to these kinds of disciplines. Number three, learn some Bible passages by heart. Have in your mind and heart some promises, some praise, something that you can bring out into maybe conversation or at least to your own mind without having to reach for a Bible and look it up. Commit it to memory. Number four, develop an attitude of gratitude. Give thanks even in the ups and downs. That's an abbreviated quote. The person who sent me that said, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks even in the ups and downs. Life will sometimes be tough. Look for the funny or the upside in a situation. I've forgotten what number we're up to, but next one. Don't, here's a negative one. Don't just have a perfunctory relationship with God, only turning to him when there is a crisis or hard times. There will be crises. There will be hard times. But we need to keep a close relationship with God all the time, not just turning to him with a complaint when things seem to be going wrong. Next, 
Make your first priority the kingdom of God and his way of right living, trusting him to supply everything you need. Make following God a first priority. That's, incidentally, my contribution to this. When Ronnie and I were engaged 53, four years ago, I'm looking for a nod. Somebody gave us Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 as a text. We've tried to hold it ever since. Lastly, trust the Lord to lead you. Trust the Lord to lead you through whatever situation you happen to be in because he never makes mistake, my friend said. Intentionally find a few close friends. Keep your daily disciplines. Learn some Bible passages. Be, great, be grat, full of gratitude. Don't be perfunctory. Seek the kingdom of God first. Trust the Lord to lead you. Some of us, we're coming to a close, you'll be pleased to hear. Some of us are already old, but we're not too late to build a relationship closer to God and what God wants us to be. Many of us, many of you, are not yet old. But are we busy growing into what God wants us to be now, becoming the righteous, devout, faithful servant in this coming year and in the years to come? It's not too early to begin. Let's take a moment to pray. <clears throat> Father, we confess that none of us are yet all that you intend for us to be. Forgive us our past failures. Fill us again with your Holy Spirit that we might walk before you all our days all our years of this life in peace and love, righteousness and devotion, serving and loving you more and more. Thank you. Amen. Amen. And a righteous, devoted and happy new year to you all.